So right now, we are going to be entering into a series of sermons uh, about the church. And so I'm calling it Church 101, just Church Fundamentals. And among other things, this morning we're going to talk about membership, attendance, the name, and so on and so forth. Um, these things. And what's interesting is that everything we do in word or deed, we do all in the name of the Lord, right? That's what the Bible teaches. That's how we use that passage. We take the principle, and that's how we apply hermeneutics, if you will, right? Being able to interpret Scripture properly, soundly. And so when we apply it to the teachings of the church, there are some fundamental things with regard to it. What's interesting is that over time, that you have traditions that creep into the body of Christ. And those traditions over time crystallize to such a point that it is taken as if it is from the word of God, right? This was Jesus' condemnation to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, others that practice certain traditions, and that's why we have a passage like Mark chapter 7. Read that one more time with me and notice how these very traditions just can be so commonplace that we expect them as if they were handed down to us by God himself. It says again in verse 1, just as it was read for us by Sean, and then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, I want you to think about that. Here are these Jews that because of the traditions that you have to wash your hands, if not, you are in fact defiled. So someone comes into the assembly of the Jews and they see these Jews eating without having washed their hands first and they're thinking, these brethren are in sin. That's the picture here. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And so... These are things that, mind you, are not wrong. Having these traditions were not wrong in and of themselves. It's the fact that when someone didn't do this tradition, that somehow they're in sin. And so when we're talking about the Lord's church and we're looking at some fundamentals, there are things in which I believe that has taken place over the years that when we look at Scripture and read it at face value, have not been brought up in these teachings, there's a disconnect. And so it's, it behooves us that when we look at scriptures, we follow what the scriptures actually teach if we're wanting to do all things in the name of the Lord. So with that said, we're looking at names, membership, attendance, evangelists, elders, deacons, when the church comes together, like when the, when the Lord church comes together, so worship, when the church is not necessarily all together as one, but we are still the body of Christ, what are our responsibilities and so we're going to be looking at some of these very fundamental teachings that are according to Scripture and not necessarily according to traditions. And mind you, some of these things, some of you are going to go, wait a second, no way. This is what God's Word actually says, word for word. And interestingly enough, you know, it's like when um, your, your parents say to Johnny, Johnny, why are you doing that? Well, I mean... You, you tell Johnny, would you go off the cliff because someone else went off the cliff? That was their example. And the same thing is just because you read it in Scripture doesn't mean that it's actually taught 
right? So that's what we're looking at. We're going to see context. And hopefully, it will not be offensive to you, but actually biblical as you read the scriptures. So concerning this, I got a couple of caveats I want us to do. But when, when we look at these things with regard to traditions and trying to discern between it and truth, we want to do what we've always taught, to speak where the Bible actually speaks and to be silent where the Bible is actually silent, right? And so if we're doing that and we come across certain teachings and then for, well, for this particular teaching, I want to go back to the Old Testament because it'll strengthen my position. Or to this particular teaching, I want to use historical evidences because that's what will bolster my viewpoint. And, but on other teachings, we just want to go to the New Testament. Okay, you see what I'm saying? These things actually happen in the body of Christ. And again, it's easy to become blind to our own traditions. And so if we become so entrenched, it's hard for us to see between actual truth as revealed in God's word from those very traditions. One more thing. Some traditions are based upon principles. So when you read scripture, you get a certain principle from the scripture, right? It may not be an actual explicit teaching, but based upon what was done, you have an example that you extrapolate from your belief system and apply it to other areas, right? So we take a passage of scripture, we apply wisdom and logic to that scripture and extract it from it based upon our belief system, we apply a certain practice. We apply a certain teaching to that passage of scripture. That's what we'll be seeing in my estimation this morning. But that does not mean that that is actually equal to a commandment from God, right? If we go to the Old Testament scriptures and we read, that's the reason why we have some like with the, in the Jewish community saying, Rabbi so-and-so said there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. How do they know? Because they're actual commandments. Moses, on the 10th day of this particular month, I want you to slay this particular animal at this particular age, and it cannot have any blemishes, and here's where I want you to slaughter it, and on this side, I want you to sprinkle the blood. I mean, very specific instructions given. And sometimes we take principles and we apply very specific instructions that were not given from God himself, but we will take them as if they are. For that, just by way of, of one example, I'll use... Uh, it's either two or three years ago, might have been three years ago, I was preaching in Indiana. Where's Dan Allen? It was Dan, Dan's dad, where he's one of the elders there. And just so happened that the church just completed a personal congregational Bible study about um, the giving on the first day of the week. And as a congregation, they were like, contextually, this was given, like Macedonians, the giving for needy saints. It was not a commandment that every first day of the week, this is the, what the Lord's church is supposed to do under other situations. And that's anathema to some brethren. But as a congregation, that's what they had concluded. That's what we're talking about, where we can take principles applied from a passage and then bring them into a practice. So let's look at some of these things. Church name, right? How many of you have 
gone through um, Bible authority handbooks. I mean, studied through them, because I have. Okay, so it's all the older among us, very few of the younger among us. We've gone through brethren's handbooks, and one of the things that you'll see in, in our handbooks that we have is a scriptural name for the Lord's church, right? That's what, that's what you'll read. And there's good reasoning behind that because we want to be right with God. And so we want to have a scriptural name. Well, let's look at the scriptures. And let's actually look at what, what we have. Before we actually do that, though, I want you to note something. I want this to be something that you take home and you let it sink in, let it digest, and see if, if maybe there's a reason why the names that we have today. So, biblically speaking, there was no one that was known as a Christian up until what we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, right? Read that passage with me in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, they're um, in their beginnings of going out and sharing God's word, the churches in Antioch, and here is what is said when Luke is recording what's going on with the saints in the passage here. All right. Luke says in verse 26, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled, the brethren did, with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And what's interesting when you go through beyond biblical um, passages like this is that none of the Christians called themselves Christians, at least not initially. This was a term that was given to Christians or given to disciples by non-believers. Those are those Christ followers, right? These are people who are of the way. I mean, it was not something that they imposed on themselves. They all referred to themselves as disciples, right? Students or followers of Jesus. And so Similarly, when you go through the history of the denominational names that are, are on the boards and signs and the teachings today, right? go up and down Franklin Road, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, all, all that you can find, up and down Highway 31. Did you suppose that not on one of them that I'm aware of, and correct me if I'm wrong and actually share this with me if you, if you have this information, ever gave these names to themselves? Right? So you had individuals who believed in Jesus, and for all the teachings that we can um, distinguish from them and condemn for maybe for being erroneous in teaching and, and practice, here's, here's one of them dealing with names. That some of these churches that we come now to know as either Lutheran church or uh, Methodist church or Baptist church or Presbyterian church and what have you, some of them are based upon actual names. And so people were called Lutherans because they followed Luther. Back in the 1800s, there were those who were called Campbellites because they followed the teachings of Thomas and Alexander Campbell, right? So they were known as Campbellites. Not that they called themselves such, but others were calling them these names. So others started calling these people, oh, those are Methodists, right? Those are Presbyterians, interesting that name in the history of the name, that started having a methodology to it, and so they became distinguished, and then later on they become known as Methodists because they had a certain method. Or Presbyterian because they believed in the eldership, and so they were known as Presbyterians. 
or a Baptist because not just a name, but because of a practice. Oh, they baptized them, not just poured or sprinkled. So they're called Baptist, right? So all these were distinct sects, in other words, distinct groups that distinguish from the rest of the other groups based upon a singular or multiplicity of beliefs. And it was given to them, not self-imposed, so to speak. That's what happened. Over time, these distinctive names crystallized, and they started congregating. Oh, I believe this teaching, so I'm going to go to this group, right? And this group happened to, to teach about this baptism, or that group was teaching about the eldership and so on and so forth. And so they became known as followers of these individuals or practices. That's what you have. That's the practice of what's been going on in our country, let alone over the centuries in Europe and all the way going back from the beginning when we have what's called the Catholic Church. And for some of us that don't even know the Catholic history, the word simply means universal. Like if you were to actually say this is part of the Catholic Church, some of you would have a cow. But technically, from a definitional standpoint, we are. We're Catholic. But we would say, no, but that's different than the Catholic teaching, and I would agree with you. Now we're talking about two different things. So how are you using our words? So these are things that we're talking about, you know, when we talk about traditions versus actual truth. So what about with Churches of Christ? Romans chapter 16, just as was mentioned, I think uh, Richard was mentioning it this morning in our Bible class, about the whole, greet one another with a holy kiss. The Churches of Christ greet you, right? So we have this, and then in, in our books that we read about Bible authority, we get this name, and this is the scripture name because it's in scripture, Right? Here's our, our quote in a passage, and we quote this passage and teach others the necessity of this particular name. Here's the thing. You never had Jesus or his apostles actually teach that the church is supposed to have a name. I want, that, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. This is where, because of traditions, we can get so crystallized that we pass down what someone else taught us that it's this way or we will lose our soul. I can't remember if it was Norman Fultz, Julie, if you remember who it was. Ben Shropshire, that's who it was. Ben Shropshire. How many of you all know who Ben is? He's old, an older brother in Christ. Those of us who are older or younger preachers would know. So some of us older would know. Ben Shropshire, I remember when he used to preach in Hawaii, but he also preached in St. Louis around the time I was there in the early 90s, preaching with L.A., uh, Ali Stouffer, that is. And I would go and visit, visit with Ben. He was preaching at Afton. And I noticed that from time to time when I'd visit, we'd have Bible studies. On the church bulletin, one week it was Christians meet here. The another week it was the Church of God at Afton. And the following week it was the Church of Christ in Afton. And, and I looked at him like, are you wanting to cause trouble? <laughs> he said, Mitch, I'm trying to teach the difference between our traditions and when you actually look at what's written in scripture that these names are actually in scripture right and so it got me really thinking about you know what what other type of traditions are there along these lines but this is one of them if you look at this passage in Romans 16 I want you to actually go to the passage read it with me again not that you've heard it many times but actually look at the text and I want you to look at the context of this passage. You're going to find a couple of things. Number one, 
What Paul is doing at the very end of this letter is he is writing to the saints that live in Rome. These saints make up the church, all the saved that live in this region called Rome. Right? Call it a city, call it a region, geographic location, but that's what it is. So he writes to the church at Rome. And as he's finishing his letter, he's giving all the greetings from certain individuals. And among them, he says this, the churches of Christ greet you. And what some might think is, 2,000 years later, see, that's it. That's the name that was given, the churches of Christ. Contextually, it was a description. All the churches that are in Jesus Christ greet you. The Apostle Paul could have easily said, all the Christians from other locations greet you. He could have said, the churches of God greet you. Because, well, you have passages like Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and other places in the New Testament where the church is referred to as the church of God. There are some in which it's referred to as the way, right? The household of faith. All kinds. There's, there's a number of them. And so, you know, if you go to a, a group of individuals and you see Church of Christ on the sign, that, does that make them a Lord's church? Not necessarily, just because it has a name on there. But over time, it became a convenient label because of all the distinctive practices. And therein lies the segregation or the sectarianism of what goes on in the name of Christianity. And so what we do is we, we go to where we think are sound teachings and we join ourselves to a group of individuals that we believe fits the New Testament scriptures as closely as possible. And it's not going to be perfect no matter what congregation you go to, but that's what we've done. We go to ones that we think it's good here. After about 10 years, I no, no, this group is now a bit better. And then after three, five years, and then we go to this group and we keep going because you'll never find that perfect church that fits all your beliefs so that's part of the practice of what is going on here but the reality when you compare truth from tradition is this tradition is we take a passage and we see church of christ and now everyone has to have that name or else until someone else comes along and says yeah but what about these other bible passages and all of a sudden for some we don't know what to say we actually move on to other argumentations why it still should be Church of Christ. Now, am I teaching that we should not have that name? No. I love the heritage that I belong to that says Church of Christ. But get this right. I'm not talking about a denominational name. And neither should you. Get it right that we belong to Christ. The church belongs to him. But if I ever were to say to you the Church of God, which is at Franklin... I would hope you understand, because I'm not speaking in denominational terms, I'm speaking in biblical terms, you would know the difference. <gasps> Church of God at Franklin. Wrong scriptural name. Mitch, out of the pulpit from now on. I mean, I'm not kidding. That actually happens from place to place. And honestly, brethren, I love you, but I, not, I do not stand before you and you do not stand before me. We stand before our God. Amen. And so we want to teach each other what is truth, not what is tradition. What is tradition, it can be fine. And we can practice that tradition, but know the difference, discern the difference. That's church basics. 
You have to understand church basics so that we can go forward as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and why we have all the difference with denominations. This won't be one of those reasons, although it may be part of a peripheral discussion. All right? But that's what you have. How about this? Church membership. I've shared this with the elders here. I've shared it with, in Georgia. I've talked to many brethren about this over the years. Church membership is one of those things that I believe from place to place you get different teachings. Different congregations have different criteria for church membership, right? In some places, uh, someone makes it known publicly. We wish to be a part of this congregation. And guess what? They're part of that congregation. In other places, you talk to the eldership, and that's what we have here, right? If someone wants to be a member of this congregation, they go and see the elders, and they have a sit-down and talk to the elders, in other places, there's some other form by which this membership is known. In other places, no one says anything. Now, I want you to know, some of us have brain aneurysms on any one of these three illustrations I just gave. Because we look at logic and we're going, that doesn't make sense. How does anyone know they're a Christian then if they don't place membership? Or how would we know if they are sound in the faith if we don't have them sitting down with the elders? Or how do we, and just fill in the blanks, all the reasons of why. Here's the reality. I've seen some that have placed membership, said all the right things, but completely walking contrary to the cause of Christ. But brethren only see each other on Sundays and Wednesdays, and they have no idea. So as far as brethren are concerned, they're sound in the faith, and they place membership. And then there are others they're like, Mitch, I don't see any teaching about placing membership. But I'm a Christian. I was added to the body of Christ by Christ himself because I read Acts chapter 2. I read from verse 40 following, right? And verse 42 in particular. And I'm part of the body of Christ. And then someone says, yeah, but you know, that was the church of Jerusalem. Back then, things were very simple. The reality is, where would the teaching be? And so as we look and contrast between traditions and actual teachings, we have a passage, an actual passage that we use biblically, or we, we believe it to be biblical, I, I would say, where we actually have someone trying to join himself to disciples. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. So contextually, Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets killed by certain Jews that he was trying to share the gospel with. Right? Stephen is a Christian. He's one of the, the men that could be argued as one of the deacons in the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 6. And so we fast forward, Acts chapter 8, and we get some teaching. Acts chapter 9, we come to this man named Saul, who later becomes the apostle Paul. And if you know anything about him and what we were reading from chapter 7 and chapter 8, is this particular Paul, who's known as Saul by this time in Scripture... He was consenting to the death and imprisonment of Christians. He's on the road to Damascus, and the light shines, and he has the encounter with Jesus Christ, and he himself believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God now. And instead of persecuting Christians, instead of persecuting disciples, in persecuting those who are of the way, those who belong to Christ... He actually now is one of them. And when you read Acts chapter 9, 
I want you to read the text here and see if this is like what we do in our practice of church membership. Or if this is an extrapolation based upon principles from this passage, again, which is part of our traditions. See if you can find out this distinction. Acts chapter 9, read these passages um, with me. So, verse, uh, let's see if I can back up. Verse 20, this is right after he um, is baptized by Ananias. Verse 20 of Acts chapter 9, immediately he, that is Saul, preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is a son of God. Can you imagine the reaction? The very people that he was getting letters from, from the Sanhedrin, going to various villages, towns, and then going into synagogues and taking disciples out of these synagogues and taking them over to imprisonment or to their death. Now he himself is preaching in these very synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. And then all who heard were amazed and they said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has he not come here for that very purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? In the meantime, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Let it sink in. I go from trying to imprison and possibly have executed Christians. Now, the Jews that I had fellowship with against these believers are now plotting to kill me. Where do I go? What do I do? Their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night, led him down through the wall in a large basket. That's what the disciples there, where, where he had been preaching in Damascus, in that area, they're there. Saul leaves Damascus, or leaves this area, and he comes to Jerusalem, where everyone knows him as Saul, the destroyer of Christians. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Can you imagine what he's doing? Hey, guys, I'm a fellow believer like you now. Yeah, right. That's what's going on. No one believes him because he doesn't have a reputation there except for a reputation of binding fellow Christians, sending him off to prison or, or worse. So Barnabas takes Saul, brings him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And it is then that they have fellowship. That's the joining of the disciples. It was not like, hey, I'm coming to the church and going, here's my baptismal record, you know. Or here's my views on these teachings. Now, do you think I'm a sound brother in Christ? And okay, we can have fellowship. That's very different. But we take from a passage like Acts chapter 9, verse 26, where Paul is trying to join them. And we take a principle from that, that we try to join each other. And then we add to that the reasoning, right? Because if we're Christians, we're going to have fellowship with each other. And that's true. If we're Christians, we're going to worship our God together. And we're going to remember our Lord together. That's all true. 
And so what we've done is we take a passage and we apply reason, wisdom, our logic, to a passage like this and say that's the reason why we have church membership. And that's fine and good, knowing that it's a tradition, not something that the Lord said on, the, on a first day of the week when you come together and after church services are over, you meet with the elders. That's a very different scenario if that were written down. And what we do is when we read the Old Testament scriptures, it's written down. Unfortunately, what we do sometimes is we take the New Testament and we Old Testamentize the New Testament. Brethren, I know some of this that I'm saying, it's, it's hard for you to hear. It's a reality, however, when we distinguish true traditions that we may not think of as traditions as, but actual practices that belong to the teachings of Christ, when in fact there is no teaching from Christ or his apostles on this very thing. And that is why for probably about 15, 20 years, I've shared this. Um, I know I've shared it here. I've shared it in Georgia when living there. But that's a teaching. And we've got to discern the teaching. If we're wanting to do things in Bible ways, speaking where the Bible speaks, then what does the Bible speak about church membership? What does the Bible speak about the church name? Think about it. Just because... If I'm a brother in Christ and I write a book, doesn't make me right. Just because I preach here in the pulpit on this sermon doesn't make me right. What do the scriptures say? And contextually, what is the scriptures actually teaching? Or do we have a narration? Because that's what we have. It's a narration. Paul tried joining himself to disciples. Not an actual teaching, but Luke narrating what Paul was trying to do in having fellowship with brethren. Okay? So, distinction. How about this, church attendance? This one's going to be doozy because this is the one whereupon we actually get down into fellowship questions, right? So this is a hard, well, this one's, we don't have a recording now, but so you can raise your hand and it's not going to be all the whole world to see. Well, no one sees you anyway. They're not looking that way. I'm sorry, my bad. Seriously, though, serious question. How many have you been a part of a congregation? How many of us here have been a part of a congregation where we've withdrawn from a brother in Christ because they did not assemble with the saints at some point? Okay. That's a good bit. And we've done it because we, we love God. We want our brethren to love God. We want to be assembling with the saints because we read passages like what passage? What's the passage? There was only one passage that we go to that I'm aware of. Hebrews chapter 10, right? Verse 25. So, let's look at the passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at the context of Hebrews chapter 10. All right? Again, these things are hard for me to share because I know these are practices that we hold dear that are very distinctive among us to be sound, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, sound congregations for the Lord. If you go back through chapter 10, what you have is a context in which Christians are actually losing their lives for believing in Jesus as the Christ. Some of them are losing their jobs. Some of them are being separated from their families. And so this letter, the Hebrew letter, is written to embolden 
Christians to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, to no longer turn away from Jesus Christ, and tied to the hip of that is no longer um, forsaking your fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the reason why. This is why we have all these New Testament passages and why this Hebrew letter is written. In the first century, when Jews who believed in Jesus were known by other Jews who, be- who did not believe in Jesus, family, friends, neighbors, many of these Christians, disciples, followers of Jesus, they would have peer pressure. In addition to peer pressure, they would actually see some of their family, friends, relatives, neighbors being drugged away by people like Saul. And over time, many of them began to question their own walk with Jesus. This letter was written to Jews who are wavering in their faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what the writer is trying to do is establish that Jesus is greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than the law. His high priest is greater. Everything about Jesus is greater. Therefore, do not neglect Jesus. Do not leave Jesus. Do not leave his church. That's the message of this letter. With that in mind, read chapter 10. Picking up in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart with full assurance of faith that Jesus is the Christ. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How can you do that if you forsake the Lord's church? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This very word, forsaking, go get your... Bible dictionaries out on your phones, on your smart tablets, whatever, you will see it's the word that means to abandon, to desert. Let that sink in. These are individuals who are abandoning, deserting, leaving the fellowship with fellow saints. This is not about the church coming together on the first day of the week. And you did not make your attendance roster for the day. That's not what is being taught here. But we have a tradition in which we will take this passage and apply the concept of church attendance from this passage and bind it upon us. Brethren, we are actually creating a law that God did not create, if that's the case. And a burden that was never intended Upon the body of Christ. Now, let me be very clear. Should we assemble together? Yes, absolutely. I mean, how else do we actually come and worship our God, right, when the church comes together? But if we want to talk about actual attendance and we want to go to the scriptures and use apostolically approved examples, you know what we ought to be doing then, right? 
Some of you, I know you're ahead, with, ahead of me. Acts chapter 2. What did the disciples do every single day? They met together in the temple. Well, we call this the temple then. Meet every single day. You know, if we want, I mean, inconsistent. But we hold to certain things, even if we may be inconsistent, and we, we put it down so hard and crystallize these teachings so much that there is a distinction between traditions and actual truth. And if we were to look at the actual truth, where is the teaching? What passage actually is teaching about church attendance? It's not Hebrews 10.25. The fact that we have a tradition about church attendance, I'm good with. It helps us to be aware of when brethren are not here. Because there may be issues. They may be wavering in their faith. They may be going through a hard time in their life. And if we are not aware of our brethren that are not here amongst us, what kind of love do we have for each other? And I know not one person is going to keep up with all 200, whatever we have here. But every one of us, we're all close to certain ones of us among us, and we keep up with each other. I mean, not every one of you call me if I'm missing, right? Well, a number of you do. We write letters or text messages and what have you, and I love that. I appreciate that. But not all of you are going to do it. I'm not expecting you to do that, and not everyone's going to do it when, when you are gone or sick. But that's a peripheral issue. That's something that we, out of the love for one another as a family of believers, do. But not because there was some kind of a law, some kind of a teaching from Jesus or his disciples, explicitly or implicitly, along these lines. So the last question. I just gave three points in which, from, from looking at scripture, seeing it contextually, I see a distinction between a tradition that is practiced, which is completely acceptable from a traditional standpoint, and actual truth. But let me, I mean, I want you to be honest. Does it ring like, I don't know, this is scary. See, I would have expected a few hands to go up. This is scary, okay, yeah. I'd expect that. Because when you hold to certain teachings for so long, it's no different than, remember some of the easy examples of traditions that we talk about among brethren, like the Lord's Supper, that you have to have the cover over it, or else we're not doing it right? I mean, you guys heard those stories, right? Church is doing that. And when the, when the cover was missing, they replaced it with something else. Or it, maybe there was no cover at all. You know, that happens. But those are not hitting us close to home. These hit close to home. If we're wanting to be sound in the faith then we have to open up our Bibles and dig a little bit deeper than just superficially taking a passage, pulling it out, and making a law from it. In the name of Bible authority, let alone. That's just not wise of us. It's not good of us. It's not sound. Even if it's said to be sound, that doesn't make it so. And my words this morning, and I am 100% convicted. I've been this convicted for years like this, but that doesn't make me right. You study the scriptures. Be like the Bereans, as Mark was saying this morning. Open up the word. Be like Bereans and study the scriptures to find out whether these things are so. Look at the context of Hebrews chapter 10. Look at the context of Romans chapter 16. 
Look at the context of Acts chapter 9 and see if what I'm saying is actually in line with Scripture. But when you start holding to teaching just because you belong to this church and this church had these teachings for so many years, that does not make it right in and of itself, brethren. No more than me standing up here being right just because I'm standing up here. Or whoever is teaching and, and is in front of the lectern. It doesn't make them right just because they're in front of a lectern. It doesn't make them right just because they're in a Bible classroom teaching in a Bible class. Right? So we want to be discerning. And we want to be discerning in the spirit of truth and love for one another. Right? Because I guarantee you that while I teach this, I know that every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ that believe this as if it were commandments from God himself, love God and want to do his will and are striving to be sound in doing his will. And I love that. That's what we need. That's the kind of spirit we need. But just because you have that spirit doesn't make it right. And so that's what we have. So here's the thing. Traditions in how the term is actually contrasted from biblical truth. Because there are, when you can actually use the word traditions in the Bible, like, and it's biblical truth. Receiving the traditions that were handed down to us. So traditions can be used in, in other ways. But traditions in how we're distinguishing between it and actual truth, biblical truth, are good and often come from good and wise reasoning. Like our attendance or like um, some of the things like the name and what have you to distinguish one church from another in our modern situation. But that does not always mean that those traditions come from sound exegesis. Right? When you take a passage and actually use that passage properly, just because you take and apply a principle from a passage, take it out of its original context and use it for something that you believe should be the original meaning. Right? That's called pretext when you do that. So what we need is this right here. Discern. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Those that were dull of hearing could not handle the truth because they were not exercised in maturity to handle that distinction. And they have come to need milk and not solid food, that passage says, because of dull of hearing. We don't want to be that way. We don't want to be dull of hearing. We want to be sound. Brethren, that lesson was hard for me to preach. I remember giving something similar to this about seven, eight, nine, ten years ago in Georgia, and the title was Blind to Our Own Traditions, and these are some of the points. Uh, let me tell you, it was not pretty after that service for me. One of the elders didn't like what I had to say. But two weeks later, he said, Mitch, I've been studying exactly everything that you said, and I could not see that it was wrong, and I could see where you're coming from. Brethren, I, I hope that's the same heart that you have on some of these difficult things to hear. I really do. For your soul's sake as well as mine. Right? Our goal is to walk worthy of God's calling. Let's do it together. Now, if you're here this morning and you want to be added to the body of Christ, to his church, right? Acts chapter 2, we actually see this teaching. Those who gladly received his word, the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, were baptized. That's the practice. And then Jesus added him or that individual, him or her, to his church. That's it. 
That's what he'd done. If that's what you want to do, you'd be following that biblical teaching and pattern as revealed in Scripture. Very simple. And your sins will be washed away as taught in Scripture. And you'll be able to walk in newness of life as taught in Scripture. And I pray that you'll walk worthy of that calling as is taught in Scripture. Now, if you're here this morning and you're subject to that invitation, that's your biblical invitation. And if you need our prayers, by all means, we'll be happy to pray for you, brethren, because we love each other. Why don't you do that together? We stand and sing.